Mini episode 1274 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You'll want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here. With my good friend and fellow FDH Lounge original dignitary, Chris Galloway, and we have gone piece by piece through the NFL landscape this year, landing now on part eight of our 2020 preview series, the NFC West, and as is customary, we'll be going through overall predictions here at the end of the segment as the culmination to this one, but uh, as we've been noting at the beginning of every segment here, I'm referring everyone back to part one, the AFC East. If you want to hear our overall thoughts on COVID-19 and this season, how this year is going to be uh, remarkably unique in the NFL for all of the challenges posed, our macro-level discussion is confined to about the first 10 minutes or so there. From here on in, we're just touching on it as it affects these teams individually. And uh, there is an interesting thing here on the subject of COVID-19. When you look at the NFC West and the team that I have picked to repeat as divisional champions, the San Francisco 49ers. I'm picking them to win it at 11-5. and five. And there has been an awful lot of talk about uh, how, uh, you know, as, as, as rough of a year as we've had in this country, things could have been even worse if the 49ers won the Super Bowl. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is a million people or so on the streets of San Francisco at a time when they were already starting to get a little bit of an outbreak there, Meanwhile, in Kansas City, evidently nobody'd had it yet. Uh, that was like the first, uh, I'm sorry, the, the final big kind of, you know, large scale, and I mean massive large scale, uh, con- congregation in this country, really, before everything started to go sideways. Had it been in San Francisco, there could have been some more tangible, uh, real life, uh, instances of, uh, of doom coming out of that here. But uh, the 49ers basically took one for the country, Chris Galloway, and did not merit a Super Bowl parade. I Wow, you really took that in a direction I didn't see coming. <laughs> um, and, and along the way, there were several jokes I wanted to make that probably would have been inappropriate. And I'll, I'll go ahead and pass on those. We're, but I also have the 49ers at 11-5 much like yourself um, uh, epidemics and pandemics aside 49ers repeat at the top of the NFC West uh, division in 2020 that's right that's right and you being a gentleman of good taste I am reasonably confident that none of your unspoken jokes revolved around previous outbreaks of anything in San Francisco Uh, you're a better man than that Chris Galloway so (laughs) I'll give you credit for that anyways deserved or undeserved but, uh, yeah, we, we agree on the 49ers, and, uh, again, it doesn't look to be, I don't think, too much of a, a different picture here uh, as far as the makeup of this team. You have a little bit of turnover on the roster. 
a little bit of augmenting of the uh, the wide receiver position, which definitely I think they wanted to do because uh, you know Garoppolo is still not a guy, as you saw in a Super Bowl, still not a guy that they trust uh, completely at this point. And uh, you know we, we've talked about previously quarterbacks that are in that sort of nether region here of you you have the guys that are the slam dunk franchise quarterbacks and then you have game managers and then you have guys in the middle Garoppolo is still a guy I think that we're probably all still trying to put our finger on where he's at but uh, to me uh, you had mentioned during our previous segment about Teddy Bridgewater being a game manager plus I think I would probably at this point put Garoppolo right about at that level well, I think you're right. I think right now he is at that level. And um, this is the year that if he's going to be anything beyond that, he's going to have to prove it, right? So this is it. Uh, if you're Jimmy G, this is when you prove that you can be more than just a uh, really handsome and good-looking game manager. Um, so I, I, I love this team in terms of what they're bringing back. Um, their depth, I love the coaching, the front office, the nexus between the coaching and front office. They've got it all worked out. And um, in my mind, there's just, they're barring a Jimmy G, you know, and again, this is where you run into the, well, is he just a game manager, you know, I don't think we necessarily pick him to win as many games if he gets injured. Um so is he just a game manager? No, he's a game manager plus. So I like the 49ers at uh, 11 and 5. I like them to win the division. Um, I like the defensive side of the ball. Um, I like where they are in terms of, uh, you know, they're, they're, George Kittle is amazing. And um, I just, I, I see them repeating and I see them going, going back to the NFC Championship game at least. Yeah, and we've uh, we've already talked about public health in this segment, and per what you've mentioned about Garoppolo and what he's already put out there about his personal life, I think there's a dude that knows what it's like to be on antibiotics on a regular basis if you're picking up what I'm putting down. I feel like we need to get out of this. No, we need to get off this team. Probably, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you have way too many leading uh, uh, comments. Uh, I think so. Well, no, Jimmy G's. Jimmy G's dating life has uh, certainly been well splashed across the front pages of TNZ. I was going to say sorted, um, but that's, you know, we'll all use our own adjectives here. And, uh, yes, I mean, there's there's not too much else to say uh, on the Niners. The team I have next in the division at 9-7 and seven, but missing the playoffs is the Seattle Seahawks. And, uh, again, they are in a team where we talked about this. And, by the way, I think I, I'm probably jinxing the guy. By, by calling Jamal Adams a force multiplier, uh, which, again, for anybody listening to this, yes, we taped our segment on the AFC West before Derwin James went down, and you and I both jinxed him by lavishly putting him over. I'm probably jinxing Jamal Adams in much the same way, but I say that to say this. Uh, that defense desperately needs somebody who can cover a lot of warts because they've lost a bunch of guys the last couple of years here. Uh, it is it has been kind of brutal as far as their talent retention uh, defensively here. Uh, Russell Wilson, again, we talk about it's a quarterback-driven league, and this guy has been the last couple of years an MVP candidate year in and year out carrying them. 
but they, they desperately need that. They have a very strong running game, but between Russell Wilson and what you're going to get from Jamal Adams as sort of the quarterback of, of the defense, this team's going to go as far as those guys can carry them, I think. All right, now, here we go. Here we go. Welcome to Chris's rant. Okay. We talked about the Packers and what a disservice they've done to Aaron Rodgers. I am going to get on my high horse and talk about what an absolutely outrageous disservice Pete Carroll has done to Russell Wilson to this point in his career. Um, You talk about a, a coach who has been riding high on reputation based on what Russell Wilson is providing him. Damn you, Pete Carroll. It's time to retire. Go away. Why? I am sick of it. And I'm going to tell you this. The, the Pete Carroll offense, you know, trying to run an offense from 20 years ago, taking the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands for two and a half to three quarters every game, and then expecting him, who is probably the second best quarterback in the NFL, Save your bacon week in, week out in the fourth quarter is outrageous. Damn you to hell, Pete Carroll. Boom, I said it, flaming it. All right? The offensive line is garbage. The defensive line is garbage. And the disservice that they have done to Russell Wilson in this franchise is, is a joke. It's, you know, they thought of this as a premier franchise. Pete Carroll's a great coach. I say hogwash. Russell Wilson is a great quarterback, and the only reason they're viable, and I have them at 9-7, and seven, is because Russell Wilson is a baller. That's it. Screw you, Pete. Interesting. Wow. Uh, and that's, I hope you're pantomiming a mic you drop. You can tell I have emotions on this. Yes, yes. I hope you're pantomiming a mic drop after that, because you deserve it for that rant. Uh, the only thing, I have a couple things to say. Uh, one is, uh, we could argue that uh, he is borrowing from the Dan Reeves playbook of the 80s here, because that's kind of similar to what uh, Reeves expected Elway to do in the fourth quarter regularly. I still have nightmares about one particular game where he pulled that off that people may remember. But, uh, you know, Pete Carroll, for what it's worth... <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah. a little sore subject, this sore subject. Yeah, yeah, we don't, we don't talk about that in this household, but... Uh, you know, we don't talk about that in the land. In the land, yeah. So Pete Carroll's, <laughs> yeah, or the CLE or America's North Coast. None of these distinct places do we discuss that. But uh, you know, so Carroll's not the first coach thing of this. But here's the thing too, and I don't necessarily disagree with you that the guy's been a gravy trader or a gravy trainer. But it is a thing where you know, to to be a little bit more precise. On the early end of his tenure in San Francisco, it was the Legion of Boom, and it was that historically great defense that he was gravy training before he started to gravy train Russell Wilson. Yeah, well, the common theme is gravy training something. Right. <laughs> um, it hasn't been Pete Carroll um, as sort of this mastermind that he's been made out to be by the uh, press at large. I reject that narrative. I think of him still as the New York Jets and New England Patriots Pete Carroll. Okay. Cool. Uh, uh, that's how I think of it. By the uh, way, everybody uh, everybody thinks of him as 1-15 in, in those previous stints. He really wasn't. His record is more respectable than people remember Chris Galloway. Okay. How many Super Bowls did he win? None. And I, I'm not, playoff, I'm not, how, many playoff, how many playoff wins did he have? He didn't have any. Okay, thank you. 
All right, yeah. That's well. Pete Carroll. That's Pete Carroll right there. That's who he is. He got lucky. In the third yeah. round, he grabbed Russell Wilson, who made him look like a genius. And what he should have been doing for the last few years, instead of wasting his time on re-signing guys like uh, Gordon, he should have been building up that offensive line, getting him a stud running back. Uh, well, I mean, he did. All right, I'll, I'll give him that. He did have uh, uh, Marshawn there for a while. But he should have been building up those two lines. Should have been building up that defensive line. Should have been building up that offensive line so that Russell Wilson had help. So to your point, the Seahawks will go as far as Russell Williams, Russell Wilson, sorry, and uh, Jamal Adams uh, take them. That's it. Period. Well, while we're at it, let, let me gravy. Or let me let me channel. We've they talked, are a playoff team at nine and seven, though. They are. They are. Let me channel my dad, the Ohio State honk, for a second here. You know, Richard. The only reason Pete Carroll went back to the NFL is because he got run out of UFC for cheating. So we have to get that in there as well. Your dad's right. <laughs> I love you channeling your dad. You know, Buckeye Homer curmudgeon. That's He's right. right. He that... was run out of USC, and he and, and he got a lifeline in Seattle. And uh, look, he's made the most of it, but you know, get Russell Wilson some offensive line help. It's the worst offensive line in the NFL and the worst defensive line in the NFL. It's a joke. Yeah. You win football games, you win championships in the in the trenches still. And and that's why Seattle will not win a championship this year, despite having the second best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, it's pretty bad when Pete Carroll can legitimately scour uh, Pop Warner fields in the Pacific Northwest to find better talent than what he has on the two lines that are there. But uh, that is the present state of the Seahawks. Sad to say, because of the salary cap, we are rapidly approaching that point for the L.A. Rams, who are uh, really, really realizing the ramifications of the win-now-at-all-costs type deal that they were under in 2018. How's that for a segue? And, uh, you know... With everybody that they've had to let go there, uh, Brandon Cooks, who is probably the highest salary gentleman in the history of pro sports to bounce around as much as he has, but uh, with, with all the talent that has been lost there and defensively, uh, again, McVeigh is one of these guys where, you know, I still regard it as a situation where he is going to be uh, able to carry them beyond, I think, to whatever extent, the talent on the field, the same way that I'm guessing Matt Rule will do year one in Carolina. That's the only reason I have them even making it back to 8-8, eight and eight, because they are really depleted from the level of talent that they had had the last couple of years. And something that I really, really find inexplicable is that it almost seems to me that Wade Phillips was a scapegoat for what had happened last year. I do not understand moving away from Wade Phillips uh, defensively. I'm not always going to defend the guy as a head coach, but basically the, the, the common denominator of his entire tenure as a defensive coordinator has been, if there's problems with your team, it ain't his fault. And that is what I would say about Wade Phillips and the Rams D in 2019. It was a surprising move to, to get rid of Wade. Um, I agree with you. Um, one of the best defensive coordinators the NFL has ever seen. And um, they, that roster is depleted. They're top-heavy. Salary cap is crushing them. 
And I've got them at eight and eight. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I really waffle. I consider it seven and nine, to be honest with you. Me too. Um, I really went back and forth, looked, looked at the schedule. Um, you know, Aaron Donald, I'm like, okay, they got McVay. Just some weapon, some talent. Like, all right, I'll give them eight and eight. Um, that's it. Uh, they, are, they are getting crushed. And, um, look, I don't blame them for spending and going for it. They right. got to the Super Bowl and they almost won it. So it's hard to be like, boy, look at you. You know, I'm not going to do the old fatherly wag my finger at them. <laughs> they went for it. And I and, and look, they went for it. And, you know, good for you. You know, good for them, right? Like, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. When you think you've got a window, you go for it. I agree. Uh, and they did. And they didn't get, you know, had they won that Super Bowl over the Patriots, um, which they easily could have. They came close. You know, had they got that Super Bowl ring, we'd all be looking at it going, well, they got the ring. I mean, I, I can't really argue with what, you know, they went for it. They kind of created a train wreck later, but they got that ring. Right. Um, you know, so I, I don't blame them for any of that stuff. Um, they're really going to have to do some salary dumps, reset this thing. Uh, I, I know you don't want to hear this, but I don't think golf is the long-term answer. You're um, right. <laughs> I know you don't want to hear it, buddy. Uh, but I don't think so. And I think in a couple of years, they're going to be moving on from it. But uh, I've got them at 8-8. Eight eight. I'm giving the sort of benefit of the doubt uh, because it's known that you have some talent there. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're the kind of team that's going to be competitive every week. But McVay is, we're going to really test him on his coaching ability here in the next uh, two to three years while they go through this rebuild. I agree. And uh, again, my advocacy of the Browns drafting him back in the day was couched in the term, turn your head and cough for golf. So yes, I have been a longtime enthusiast of him, largely because he throws such a beautiful deep pass. And uh, while I'm using Cleveland teams to make an analogy, the analogy I would make is the 2016 Cavs. There is so much I can excuse about how that roster had to be put together and all the trade-offs made for the long term. But, you know, we got that title. And as you know, I still proudly wear my championship swag all the time and still hang my hat on that. I mean, it makes all the difference in the world if your team wins the title. And the Rams came up a game short, uh, maybe largely in part because of Todd Gurley going down and only being kind of a shell of himself. And uh, also, uh, FDA's lounge dignitary Steve Callis points out on a regular basis as well Another thing of where that offense wasn't quite the same later in the season, Cooper Cup. Uh, taking him out of it yep. as, as sort of the third option there, uh, the Rams' offense wasn't really the same. But now they got Cooper Cup. Uh, they had him in there last year. They still got Woods, but now they don't have Brandon Cooks. So it's one of these things here where uh, the Rams, in the early part of 2018, had all the pieces that you could want to have. And we're going to look back on that, I'm afraid, as peak Rams. Well, I, and, I, and I agree, and I and I look at, you know, I have a tendency sometimes, you know, as a Browns fan to look at teams through that prism, and I watched last year a disorganized, poorly coached Cleveland Browns team almost beat the Rams and should have beat the Rams. Yes. And uh, despite all their problems, uh, and the same thing with the Seahawks, should have beat the Seahawks, um, despite how just 
god awful they were coached. Um, that's that was that that's one of the things that like sticks in my mind, right? Like when you start to evaluate, it's like, well, where do you where do you where do you sit on the Brownsometer? And and I think that they are not as good a team as they were last year. And I'm probably being kind by bumping them from seven to nine to eight and eight. Well, here's the thing, though. I said Browns 10-6 and six before the season. You just mentioned the two games there they should have won. They lost to a third-string quarterback named Duck in Denver. They lost to the execrable Mason Rudolph with Pittsburgh. There's your four friggin' wins, man. I'm right if Freddie Kitchens isn't the complete shiznit of NFL coaches. Well, I had the Browns at 10-6 and six as well, and I agree with that. I mean, again, they were so badly coached last year. It's probably a miracle that they went six and ten. Uh, they went six, the Browns went six and ten just based on the talent. Yes. Um, and 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 a better coach, they should you know average coaching would have gone nine and seven and made the playoffs. Um, so that being said, the Rams have real issues. They have real salary cap issues. They're missing some key pieces. There's some question marks with Goff. And, um, you know, they're just, you know, in the running game as well. Uh, you've got Aaron Donald, but they're just, they're not going to strike that fear that they did in the teams a couple years ago. And, um, I, I, I don't, I don't like them to make the playoffs. I like, I think them that, that missing the playoffs, uh, at eight and eight and, um, you know, having to retool. Um, and really have to fix their salary cap stuff going into 21. I agree with everything you said right there, and Aaron Donald is one of the best players of the 21st century, and uh, he is uh, a top-five player in this league and has been the last several years. By the way, for anybody that doubts our ability, our talent on this show, at wedging in a lamentation about the Cleveland Browns into a completely unrelated team, ladies and gentlemen, we remain undefeated. We did it again right there. And nobody is better at us, Chris. We can whine about the Browns. We can go down a cul-de-sac talking about any team in the league and whine about the Browns, buddy. Nobody does it better than us. Hey, I could sit there and talk about a 1968 French boat delay and be like, you know, it's life like the Browns in 1979. <laughs> uh, we can just we can work the Browns in at anything. Well, exactly, and uh, so the the we'll see if we can do it for this one here. The last team in the league that we have talked about uh, is I don't think going to be anywhere close to the last team in the league in terms of record, which is maybe what I would have thought they were going to be a year ago. I had my doubts, but the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, again, year one, Cliff Kingsbury there. Uh, year one, Kyler Murray. Really making it work out better year one than I thought they would be able to do. Uh, as such, even in a brutal division, one that I probably have in terms of record uh, as probably being only second to the NFC South, I rate this entire division as sort of a poor man, a slightly, slightly poor man's NFC South. Uh, I still have the Cardinals at 7-9. and nine. I think that they are going to uh, be able to build on their success from a year ago, I think getting DeAndre Hopkins in there. I, I, I've seen some places, uh, fantasy-wise, where people have been like, I don't think he's going to do as good without Deshaun Watson. I don't think he's going to suffer that much with Kyler Murray, and I'm a huge Deshaun Watson hawk. So this offense, I think, is going to continue to take great strides forward. Uh, they're building the defense very good. They actually ended up snaking the Cleveland Browns in the first round there with uh, Isaiah Simmons. Yes. You know. 
I mean, once again, dude, we love the term. You, you talk about a guy who was a force multiplier. That guy could end up making so many guys around him better on that defense as he did at Clemson. Well, I, I, I really wanted the Browns to get Isaiah Simmons and then take a tackle later. I mean, look, I, I love the Browns trap. Look who we just did there. We made this about the Browns. <laughs> um, I, I, I love the Browns draft at the end of it. Um, but uh, losing out on Simmons really did hurt. I think that guy's going to be amazing. I have the Cardinals 7 and 9 as well. Did you and I just about agree on this entire division almost? Within one game for the entire sum total of the division, I think we agreed. Um, we agreed on every record, actually. I think we. I think we did. Yeah, I think we just. I think we. Boom! There we are. Totally in sync. What a way to end it. I think we were in sync when we started this thing yes. eight segments ago, and we're in sync at the end. So that's just what an end cap. <laughs> um, I, I have to tell you, I never believed in Cliff Kingsbury. I thought this was the biggest joke of a hire. Um, although his crib is no joke, people. Uh, my right. man, my man, my man knows how to live. Yeah, uh, true that. I did. I did not believe in Kyler Murray. I none of it. But it's working. It's working. And they went and got Hopkins. Um, I think the Cardinals still have real question marks on the offensive line. Yep. Uh, that's going to hold them back. They've got real question marks on the defensive line. Um, some issues in the secondary. I, you know, they've got real problems. They don't have they don't have the depth and talent at every position to be able to compete for the division title. But you know, if 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 they were to beat the Forty ers and the Seahawks in in in, in you know back to back weeks, would anybody be surprised? No. Um, I am. I am really uh, surprised and impressed. Kingsbury hire so far looks like it's one that, that, that could work for them. And uh, I've got them at seven and nine. They're going to be competitive. And, and, and damn it, you know, I think I, Isaiah Simmons is going to be a star in this league. He's going to. And the Kingsbury thing, yeah, I, I agree. Even if the methodology was suspect, I mean, if I remember correctly, I mean, didn't the Cardinals media bio have something embarrassing in it? Like, once met... Sean McVay has one of his credentials. So, you know, that's... Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it was almost like we need to find a really handsome coach. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> like I don't even know what their criteria was. Right. Let's get a guy who was a loser in college. Right. And let's hire that guy. Like, really? Like, I, wow. Um, but, you know, year one, you certainly, you certainly can't look at it and go, wow, that... that bad hire. I mean, it looks like it was a good hire. Well, and, and it really does make you wonder if on the evaluation front, if we, a lot like, you know, you know how we, we frequently do with players where we're like, boy, they weren't that great in college, but they got in the NFL and it suited them well. Or, right. You know, they were kind of this in college and basketball, but now they're in the NBA and you're like, wow, like, how is he this good? Right. Um, you know, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe they saw what nobody else did is that Cliff Kingsbury was made for the NFL. Well, yeah. And uh, again, for him to be the Kawhi Leonard stepping up at the next level. Yeah. I mean, stranger things have happened. And uh, again, you know, we're talking comparisons with uh, Sean McVay. 
I mean, not just on the field would that be flattering to him, but off the field. I mean, if he's got the pimp hand that Sean McVay does uh, with that uh, Eastern European model or whoever it is that's his girlfriend, and uh, Kingsbury, like you said, has the requisite crib to be able to pull like that, uh, especially in an area with a lot of talent, the greater Phoenix area. So, yeah, it's probably a good thing to be Cliff Kingsbury these days, I'm guessing. And, uh, you know. Well, here's, here's the test, right? All those things being true that you just said. Yeah. Does that end up being, does that end up causing the ceiling for Cliff Kingsbury? <laughs> Could be. Could be. I mean, having the strong pimp hand and being able to draw from all the talent, is that just making him probably a little distracted and maybe a best a 9 7 coach? I mean, at, at, at the risk of sounding like a grouchy old fossil like Phil Mushnick or something like that, I mean, I don't know. Is that a concern? Is, is basically having the world by the short hairs? If, you know, is that something that could be for, for a, a young head coach still? I mean, it's, it, it's interesting. I mean, and this is the, listen, this is going to be a clip and save moment if any of that stuff catches up to him subsequently. Well, I know we might five years from now we might look back and go, see? <laughs> well, and, and by the way, too, I'm going to, I mean, in all fairness, uh, you know, there's, other than the fact that he obviously has a great crib and enjoys it immensely, as we saw on draft night, I mean, there's been no signs, I don't think, of any of the stuff that we are recklessly speculating about, but that's the fun of this show, reckless speculation. <laughs> well, I, I'm not, I'm not speculating about anything inappropriate or legal, I'm just saying that guys, he's a, he's a, he's a handsome you know, young man who's single, right? And right. we all with money and fame, so we know how those guys roll. Yes, right? I mean, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just, it's just, does that become a distraction? I mean, look, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the complete opposite of Cliff Kingsbury is Matt Patricia, as it helps him win football <laughs> games. So I, I'm not, I'm not prepared to indict Cliff Kingsbury at this point. <laughs> I mean. I think you're. I think there's an unspoken Cliff Kingsbury doesn't have to assault anybody joke in there that you're making. <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't where I was going, but uh, yes, I mean to that point, yes, it, uh, I'm not. I'm not insinuating something uh, inappropriate on Cliff Kingsbury's part. It, right. It's more of. It's more of like you know. It's more of the problem of like how do you stay focused when life is just nothing but a buffet. That's true. That's true. And as somebody who has uh, literally eaten at a great number of buffets, uh, that question could be taken literally as well. So, you know, that is something that a lot of us have uh, dealt with. That, that's been one of the worst parts of having to go gluten-free the last couple of years is loss of buffets. Although, How did we end the 2020 preview on this? <laughs> My God. All right. Dude, you never know. Folks at home hopefully don't even hear this because Rick did decide cut it all out. <laughs> oh no, oh no, this is this is too good for the cutting room floor, but I'm not sure, I'm not even going to attempt a segue from that to our traditional macro level look at the NFL at the end of the thing here. So what I've got, and I know you alluded to previously that uh, you hadn't necessarily worked out all the playoff things here, so just weigh in with uh, whatever you want to on this, but I'll, I'll give you uh, in depth on my side in the AFC uh, I've got uh, in the wild card round, number five, Tennessee over number four, Buffalo. Number three, Indy over number six, Pittsburgh. Number two, Baltimore over number seven, LA Chargers. In the divisional round, number one, KC over number five, Tennessee. 
number two, Baltimore over number three, Indianapolis. In the championship game in the AFC, number one, Kansas City over number two, Baltimore, a pairing that we may be seeing a number of times in the 2020s. In the NFC, uh, first round, number four, Philly over number five, Tampa. Number three, Green Bay over number six, Chicago. Number two, San Francisco over number seven, Minnesota. In the divisional round, number one, New Orleans over number four, Philly. Number two, San Francisco over number three, Green Bay. Championship Sunday, the defending NFC champs go down. I have number one, New Orleans, over number two, San Francisco. And in the Super Bowl, the Hank Stram Bowl, if you will, New Orleans takes the crown from Kansas City. Super Bowl MVP, Drew Brees, possibly, as you would say, in his retirement game. So that's how I see the uh, the postseason shaking out. I mean, it's, uh, you ran through that. It all seems like that's plausible. It's possible. I can't really argue with any of that, although I don't know that I'm prepared to go all the way there with New Orleans um, uh, winning it all, but if they did, it wouldn't shock me in any way. It, uh, I know my picks are very kind of chalky here, but what's interesting is you don't see a whole lot of teams being picked on either side in the AFC. Uh, well, the AFC, it's, it's pretty much all Kansas City or Baltimore. Nobody's really making picks outside of that. In the NFC... San Francisco, New Orleans appears to be getting picked by the majority of people, which really makes my picks kind of chalky. I don't think anybody necessarily thinks that anybody from the NFC East or North could step up. There might be a few stray folks here and there saying the Cowboys, perhaps. But uh, this doesn't appear to be a deep... I don't know what he believes. Who believes in the Cowboys other than other homers? Well, there's always hype, though. Texas. Sure as hell not me, and I'm a Cowboys fan, my friend. Right. Right. Well, there, but there's there's always an excessive amount of hype uh, around them. But that that kind of makes my point. There might be a handful of folks out there maybe saying Philly could make a run. I don't think anybody's saying Green Bay, and they were in the NFC Championship game last year. So in both conferences, I, I at the moment it looks to be very 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 thin. In my 2020 NFL Power Rankings and in, in the uh, Fantasy Football Draftology Guide, remember, again, available on the main page at FantasyDraftHelp.com, I've got a top tier of those four teams, the teams on NFL Championship Sunday, and then a pretty lengthy second tier from there. And I think that is solid mainstream opinion right now. No, no, I think you're right. I think that is the mainstream opinion. And the thing to remind people at home is that, you know, an injury here or there can change that trajectory all over the place. They really, really can. So uh, it has been, uh, as uh, every year that I've done this with you, I think this is the third uh, season that we have done this together. Uh, an excellent uh, run through, Chris Galloway. Can't thank you enough. Uh, any other thoughts on the NFL for 2020? Watch out for those soft tissue issues. Those are going to be the injuries that pile up in this very weird COVID-19 season and could really derail a lot of fans' hopes and dreams. Go Browns. Uh, I agree with everything you said right there, uh, especially the Go Browns. And uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, hopefully we get a year that's closer to 2018, or the second half of it anyway, than 2019 in that regard. Uh, but again, many, many thanks to Chris Galloway for being a part of uh, what uh, I certainly uh, egotistically feel is the best NFL roundup you are going to find anywhere for this season, our eight-part compilation here division by division and thank you everybody for tuning in to this mini episode and all the ones in this series for the fdh lounge